Welcome to House of Brands. This podcast was recorded on Tuesday the 30th of June 2020. While we are in lockdown, although it's easy and the club is shut, we're using this format as a quick and easy way to find out what's going on in the club and hear direct from those running the show for us. We hope you enjoy this instalment. Today we are joined by Paul Tucker, who is Chair of Rugby at Harlow. Hello, Paul, and uh, how are you today? Hi, Paul. Yeah, absolutely fine. I've had, yeah, had a lovely day at work. I've been um, yeah, obviously working from home at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I've had plenty of screen time, it's fair to say, but happy to join you for this evening. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, um, we start off with a few quick questions just so we get settled down. But uh, So, let's start off with how young are you? I'm a very young 56. Very young, 56. Good, good. And you've had the nickname Tux now for, for a little while. How did that come about? Um, to be honest, so basically as long as I can remember, I think certainly from school. Um, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't think anybody other than me, mum and dad actually called me anything other than Tux. Um, it does get a little bit confusing sometimes because um, certainly my two boys are, uh, have the nickname of Tux as well. So when the three of us are in the bar drinking together, it can get slightly confusing. Um, slightly bizarrely, I also have the name Tux. Um, at work, but it's spelt slightly differently. Um, for some unknown reason, I use T-U-X at home, and I use T-U-C-S at work, um, which confuses some of those guys as well. We also have on the on the theme of tux, we do have a, a bit of a family tradition. So as my children have passed their driving tests, they've been awarded a tux number plate. So, <laughs> so if you actually come around our house when all the kids are here, um, we have, I think, what six cars lined up all with a with a tux at the end of their number plate. Um, and just when just sort of finishing off on that, what was actually quite funny is when my eldest son got married um, a couple of years ago out in in Mallorca. He actually bought his um, wife a present or his new wife a present, which was a tux number plate. So she was <laughs> she, she was well made up, and, um, fully inducted into the family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Oh, good, 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 good. So, uh, I mean, you mentioned some of your your, your family there and your boys. Uh, um, I think that's how you came to be involved in the club. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about them and and your involvement there? Yeah. So, um, I've been married for thirty two years to Mandy. Um, I've got four children: Jake, Jasmine, Joe, and Jamie Rose. Um, the elder three are all at work. Um, and the youngest is uh, currently at Brighton Uni, studying to be a primary school teacher. I also have two grandchildren, um, Archie, who's 20 months, and Mia, who's 16 months. So we have quite a, as you can imagine, quite a, quite a full house on some Sundays when everybody comes around for lunch. Um, and I guess, I guess like a lot of people at the club, it was actually my, certainly my two boys that got me involved in rugby for the first, you know, for the first time, really. Um, Jake, who's the eldest, um, he'll probably shoot me for saying he's 31 now, but he is. He actually started playing in 2003 following England's World Cup win. Um, and then Jasmine and Joe sort of were hot on his heels and played played in the minis and then kind of progressed through through the juniors into seniors. Um, so just a bit sort of quickly about them. Um, Jake went on to play second team rugby um, and then he helped out as a coach in the youth team that I managed and Joe played for. Um, unfortunately, we, we do seem to have a slightly hereditary injury-prone problem. So um, Jake stopped playing due to a shoulder injury. Um, and I say, whilst Joe played sort of Colts rugby and some senior rugby, he never really transitioned because he also had to retire due to a shoulder injury and 
one too many visits to the hospital with concussion, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but then we learned quite recently that it was actually a hereditary issue whereby I had to go to hospital, I had a few cortisone injections, um, and then finally ended up having an operation on my shoulder to repair a, a rotator cuff. Um, and at that point, I was actually told that it was probably my fault that my boys had to pack up their rugby careers early because it was a, say, uh, an issue that, that, that runs through the family. So, so yeah, so so you've got to thank them for um, for me joining the club, but also um, they got to thank me for them not playing rugby anymore. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that they they do and remind you on a regular basis. I'm sure. So uh... they still they still they still they do still appear drinking there. So they just don't play anymore. So. Well, you can play while you're drinking, I'm sure. I'm sure. Not rugby, but you can play. Have <laughs> fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, uh, what what is your day job, and uh, what what keeps you busy when you're not at the club? Um, other than rugby, um, I work in the city. Um, I've worked in the city since I was 17. Um, I didn't like school particularly, so I kind of did kind of get out as quickly as I possibly could. Um, I, I certainly when I left school. Um, I said I was never going to work in an office. Um, you know, 40 years later, nearly, I'm working in an office still. Um, I practiced my trade as a, it's going to sound quite, um, yeah, quite a, quite a long title as a production and marketing executive. Um, and I broke and placed reinsurance business for insurers in the marine and energy market. Um, you know, and I think one of the, one of the bizarre things about certainly the, the job that I I perform and say there is there is quite a lot of entertaining involved and when I tell people that I actually get paid for drinking and eating and taking people out they think I've they've gone absolutely mad or the world's gone mad but sadly I'm allowed to do that so that's actually quite a nice perk of the job but yeah it's a it's a it's mainly an office-based job but um but yeah with, with a little bit of travel but so working in the city and I've so I've been doing that since I was 17. So you're getting paid to eat and drink that's not that's not a bad that's not a bad thing I bet you've been to some nice restaurants then. I have, I have. It's fair to say, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, as I say it's just quite funny. It's just, it's just quite amusing that, you know, when you actually sit back and think about it, you know, we have a, you know, whilst we do have well, you know, we do work long hours. We're incredibly busy, sort of during the January period. So, you know, I'm sort of twelve hours in the office, that sort of thing. But um, there are benefits certainly in the summer period where you are, you are allowed to go out. You can enjoy yourself and. And you don't have to pay for it, so so how how bad is that? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I remember uh, years a few years back, I had uh, uh, my cousin's daughter uh, couldn't understand what I was doing for a living and, and and that sort of thing, and it basically came down to she said to me back and replayed my words and said, uh, so you basically sit down, talk to people, and drink coffee. I was like, yeah, that sums it up. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much what it is <laughs> all day, every day. Uh, but it has, <laughs> has changed a little bit to be uh, uh, enjoying the um, the entertaining side of the role as well. But uh, it's amazing how much stuff gets done there. Yeah, it's, so, it's funny you say it actually because my um, yeah, I think yeah, certainly three of my three of my children have all been up to um, been up to the city for work experience, and I think that was one of their takeaways as well. Is there was lots of people sitting and talking a lot, um, playing on the computer. Mm -hmm. Going for lunch, going out for dinner, and then they were doing the same the following day. So that does appear to be the, the way of city <laughs> life, and the, and the thing that people take away is the is the is the drinking and eating bit rather than actually the the, the role that you're performing. Oh yes, oh yes. Um, so uh, just to um, sort of plan that work bit for a little bit more there. I mean, do you ever get days when your boss says to you, "Are you working for me today, or are you working for the rugby club?" 
That's a really easy one to answer. Yes, every day. <laughs> um, um, I have been caught, as you can imagine. You know, there's always there's always something going on with rugby. Um, so I do. Yeah, I have to quickly minimise that spreadsheet I'm working on sometimes. Um, um, just to just to yeah, just to pretend I'm trying to work at the same time. But yeah. I think the good, you know the good thing with me is you know I have I have been. Um, working there for a number of years and as somebody said to me not so long ago you've earned your stripes so you can pretty much do what you want as long as your work gets done so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so I do have that I do have that I do have that leeway so so whilst yes I do get caught a lot doing rugby <laughs> business um, I'm, a, I'm kind of allowed to do it because of the because of the time I've spent there and everything else so yeah. um, so I get I get away with it I'm sure you make the hours up at other times as well as and when needed. So, I mean, talking of hours there, I mean, do you, do you, how many hours a week do you think you spend on sort of rugby club stuff? Oh, blimey. Um, yeah. oh, 30, probably. 30, blimey. Blimey, yeah. yeah a it's a lot of time. I think, you know, it does, it does, it does go up and down a little bit because it kind of depends upon um, what time of the season it is. I think, obviously, now... You know, normally, normally speaking, June and July will be the time when we're not doing very much rugby stuff um, because that's kind of where we will sit down and relax. Obviously, because of COVID nineteen and everything else, there's a whole load of planning going on, which I know we're going to touch on later. But mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that respite that we normally have in June and July has kind of disappeared. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 quite a full on a full on commitment, I guess. But I guess for me, you know, one of the and and, and Mandy says this to me, he's quite often is that, you know. Rugby is actually quite a quite a reliever of work stress for me because mm-hmm. I worry about something else if that makes any sense. So whereas before I might have you know sort of got a little bit stressed out and, and and worried about some of the things going on at work, I think if you fill your day up enough, you kind of that that goes away. Um, you know, and I tend to I tend to worry and think more about rugby, so which is a better stress than the work the work life one. So yeah, you know, so there is, there, is, there is some benefits there. So. I think I can relate to that. You put it in a box, don't you? It's like, I'm worrying about the rugby stuff now, not worrying about that stuff. And then, right, I'm going to work, I'm worrying about the work stuff and uh, sorting those things out. Yeah, no, I know. I know I, don't, I know very much how those lines can blur as well. Um, so so what rugby teams have you supported? Or do you support, rather? Um, well, um, Northampton, but that's really um, Jake's influence. Um, when he was playing, he was a bit of a, Ken, a Ben Cohen fan. Um, it was his sort of role model, so he tried to model his his wing play on Ben Cohen. Um, so he kind of supported, started supporting Northampton, and I kind of followed suit really. So we did pay a few visits up there. You know, I've been up there quite a few times to to watch them play. So so Northampton as a club team, then of course England. Um, you know, which obviously I think everybody's passionate about watching their watching their national team play rugby, aren't they? So um, so yeah, they're the, they're the two clubs I support, and of course Harlow. Yep. Of course, of course. Don't forget that one. <laughs> uh, have you ever played any rugby? Um, no, not really. I, I did at school for, for a very, very um, short period of time. Um, I was at Nimble Outside Centre. If I'm honest, I was um, more of an athlete. Um, I was quite a good 400 metre runner and long jumper, so my time at school was really spent doing um, doing athletics rather than playing rugby. But yes, I, I have never played rugby for a club or, or anything outside of that. So, so it's probably even more amazing that the, the role I'm actually in at the club at the moment. I've actually yeah. never really never really played a game in anger, for want of a better description. 
Watched a lot now, then. Watched an awful lot. I've watched, I've, yeah. I've watched an awful lot of rugby. Yeah. No. And and you you talked earlier about uh, you getting involved in rugby before, but um, you, you were you were he- quite heavily involved in uh, you, the youth team management, weren't you? I think you mentioned that when Joe was going through um, the, the section, and and you shared a, a photo with me a little while back about uh, it looked like an under 15 skateboarding in the woods. Um, so that that probably that photo probably needs some explanation, but it was off-road sort of skateboards, um, and you shared a, a a newsletter with me. Did you 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 sent those newsletters out on a, a fairly regular basis, didn't you? As you, you yeah, yeah, we did. So I think you know, I think what's quite interesting. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I was that I was that dad standing on the touchline. If I'm perfectly honest, I didn't I didn't really follow um, Jake's career very much through through the through the ranks at, at the club, but um, when Joe sort of uh, moved from the minis into the into the juniors. Um, like all of these things, there was a couple of coaches dropped out in the early stages, under-13s and under-14s. Um, Simon Jenner um, then kind of took over the role of, of coaching that team, um, persuaded his mate, who, who's Jake, into helping him out with a couple of other guys as well. So we had, um, we had Chris Ellis, we had Dean Reed, um, we had Fridge, um, and we had a, had a young lad called Frodo. And I can't actually, his, his real name escapes me, but his nickname is Frodo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they kind of helped out the coaching team. Then, then they kind of short the manager. So, so like that, like that idiot that I that I am sometimes. I stuck my hand up and kind of um, took over the role as as team manager, and that was as a as an under 15s team. Um, and then you're right, you know, I guess because I have that, I'm quite well organised. I have that business background. I think trying to, you know, try to organise the boys and, and get them in the places they're meant to be all the right times. It was came quite kind came quite natural to me. So. Um, yeah, you know, we had some um, we had some really good fun times. You know, we had a we had a good group of lads. Um, we had a we had a good parent group, um, and it was actually quite exciting. So yeah, so I spent you know under 15 through to Colts as as team manager, and obviously, and then moved on into the exec after that, which I think we'll we'll touch on yeah. on base a little bit later again. But I think you know, as you say, I was I was one of I did like to write a monthly newsletter and inform everybody what was going on. And I think what was quite interesting, I think we shared some thoughts when I sent you that, is is all of the issues are exactly the same as they were 10 years ago. I think we're just communicating different ways now rather than an old-fashioned paper newsletter. We now communicate on, on WhatsApp groups and email and everything else. But but the issues are all the same. I think, you know, there's a, you know, I think what, what we had, and I think that was, that's, you know, a good part of, of managing the team is we had a good, we had a good player base and they all became, ultimately became really good friends. So, um, yeah, you know, and which is a, which is a credit to a, all of the parents, the coaching team, and and the boys themselves. So yeah, no, I guess um, yeah, you, as you said, and the, the themes that you were getting across, and uh, uh, sort of making sure people are ready, fit and ready to come back in, and and raring to go, was certainly a, a theme that we're working with our under 15s for for this coming season. Um, so yeah, so so what do you think really makes a, a good youth team you touched on sort of a good player base there but what um uh what what do you think really makes it work for the um i think i would um i think i'd probably break it down into a couple of things i think you know you know it's not just about the players is it it's also about the management and the coaches and the parents so i think you know i certainly think for the managers and the coaches you know it's all about good communication good leadership organization and getting across a consistent message i think you know our, our group was actually very good at that I think the players, I think, you know, I guess there's things like the willingness to listen and want to learn, taking responsibility for their own actions, um, 
recognise rugby's a team game and that you're all in it together. Um, some focus, support for each other, and ultimately having fun. I think that's an important part, certainly, of youth rugby. You've got to enjoy it, haven't you? Otherwise, you're going you're to disappear. Mm-hmm. And I think also on the on the parental side, I think having a, you know, they they still forget their part of the youth, their part of the youth team as well, really. And I think having a good, you know, parental group is really really useful. It's really positive. You know, it's kind of, you know, it's it's good to have that that touchline support. Um, you know, and I think that's great. You know, with the parents, it's great up to a certain age, but then obviously there is a point where the parents also need to let go. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to, it's trying to, as the, as the boys progress or the players progress through the club, it's at, it's at that point that, you know, that parents do have to realise they do have to let go. Um, you know, I was, and maybe, maybe not dissimilar to yourself, but I always thought that, you know, when, when Joe particularly was playing rugby, he was just another player. He wasn't necessarily my son. He was just another player. And I think you need to treat him like that. So, so yeah, I think, you know, as I say, a good, a good, um, yeah, a good parental mm-hmm. base. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, let's not let's not forget, and I think this is incredibly important, is, and I think you're trying to instill this with the under-15s um, for next season, it's all about learning life skills as well, isn't it? And I think mm-hmm. we're actually in a great place to, you know, to teach those um, those boys and those players um, life skills, you know, and they do make friends for life. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that, you know, and I think, you know, without sort of harping on it about too much, I think of the group that, that I managed and, and, and Simon trained all the way through. I think 13 of those players went on to play senior rugby in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, they're all, you know, probably those 13 are all still mates. You know, I still see them down the club every week. You know, we've got to the point now where they're legally allowed to buy me a pint, which is kind of quite nice. <laughs> I've had 13 pints, but I've certainly, I've certainly had a few. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you just state your ambitions on here and they'll hear it and they'll listen and now they know they owe you a pint. <laughs> Exactly, but yeah. you know, I think you know, and I think the other thing is, you know, seven of those boys have actually gone on to play first team rugby as well. So, um, you know, and, that, and you've got to be you've got to be rightly proud of that. So, um, but I think you know, go, you know, going back to your point, what makes a great youth team? I think it is, you know, it is that togetherness. It is, you know, obviously they need to be capable of playing rugby, but I think first and foremost is they've got to enjoy themselves. You know, we've got to try as as youth coaches and managers get the boys through to a point where they do enter senior rugby, if that's what they want to do, and, and get them to and get them to that, that point with some with some basic core skills. And then we can leave it over to the dare I say the professional coaches in the senior setup to to you know to try and get the best out of them in, in the in the senior game. So Sure. No, indeed. No, a lot of that resonates, and uh, two two things that really jumped out: that responsibility for your own actions, and it's a team game, uh, and that they really, when those sort of things start to come together, um, uh, it it really sort of it really clicks, and we're on that journey at the moment, and uh, hopefully we'll deliver a whole bunch of kids that could go to the first team or or other senior teams or, or whatever they. Um, their, their goals are, even if they're to, to continue things in um, like things like Saracens and the, the DPPs and things like that. But a PHS, hopefully we'll give them the skills that they can go and achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, I think, yeah, just, just finishing on that, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, you know, and it is about, it is about, you know, you know, I can't, you can't overplay the thing. It is great that they do make friends for life. You know, it is, it is, it is, it's fantastic, you know, to see, to see those boys, you know, all those players, all in the all in the club having a few pints together now is, you know, is great. You know, can be quite irritating sometimes, but 
but but mainly, <laughs> but mainly, but mainly it's um, yeah, mainly it's really positive. Yeah. So I mean, I guess you touched on some of the points there, but what, what do you really love about rugby, and what sort of keeps you hooked into what you're doing now? I think it's that um, it's that sense of belonging. I think you know when you when you when you visit the club, I think there is a there is a genuine sense of belonging there. It's quite a nice place to turn up. I don't think you. You know, I think there I say my kids did also play football at a young age, and I think where where the difference is, is you walked onto a onto a or into a football clubhouse and then walk into a rugby one. They're completely different experiences. I think the the football one they all tended to stare at you and you felt like the odd one out. And I think with a rugby club, it's all, you know, it's all encompassing, and and there is a there is a sense of belonging there. You know, everybody's you know everybody's there to have conversation. Everybody's sort of pat you on the back. Um, so, so there's a bit about that. So I think I love that about rugby. I think that kind of typifies what mm-hmm. you know what what it is really, what it's all about. It typifies the team, the team ethos. Um, and I think the other thing, just to you know, just to finish off on that, you know, we also you know as a club we're we're quite diverse in in the groups that we have there. You know, minis through you know through youth, through colts, through seniors now. Um, you know, we do walking rugby, we do touch rugby on a Monday. Um, and obviously, you know, with the girls, the girls and the and the ladies as well. You know, that that that's amazing. So it's just there's, there seems to be a place for everybody. I think that's that's how I would sum it up. And I think that's what I love about rugby. There is a place for everybody. You know, as as we all know, there's a place on the pitch for all different shapes and sizes and all different genders. So you know, mm-hmm. what a what a great game. No, indeed, indeed. So, so your role as chair chair of rugby at the the club. Just tell me a little bit more about that role and what does that involve. Oh God, where do we start? Um, <laughs> it was quite a broad question. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess um, it's kind of a just. It's probably worth giving a little bit of background as to as to kind of why how I ended up in that role. Um, so I did obviously moving on from sort of being Colts manager. I was as you know I had a I think Tracy had a had a word in my ear one day walking down the road after I'd been watching the second team game, asking that Mark needed some help with fixtures. So. Within the space of five minutes, I, I seem to become sort of um, fixture secretary, um, and then and then you seem to take on one role, and then that kind of morphs into another one, and then you end up with another role and another role and another role. So I think from from fixture secretary, it, it moved into um, what we described as rugby manager for the club. So that was kind of my early. That was my early invitation onto the exec as rugby manager. So the idea of the rugby manager was to actually to support the chair of rugby, who at the time was Andy Pleasy. Um, you know, and that and that sort of rugby manager's role kind of encompassed a lot of the a lot of the admin stuff. You know, encompassed the you know trying to make sure that all of the coaching and everything else got onto onto the right courses and that sort of stuff. So so quite a lot of admin with that. But then that kind of when Andy um, stepped down, I was kind of asked if I would actually take over the, over the role of chair of rugby, which I, which I willingly did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of kind of merged those two roles together, to be honest. So, so my responsibilities now are quite are quite broad. Um, so you know, my my overarching um, sort of remit is to provide leadership um, on the on the rugby side of things. So provide leadership within the rugby com- committee, and then I report into the exec. Um, I set short-term plans for the season. Um, we also set longer-term goals. Um, you know, hopefully being realistic about what the club can achieve, both basically basically on the field for that season, and also sort of set the strategic objectives off the field after that. Um, when you actually look at what the what myself and the rugby committee are responsible for, there's quite a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's things. It's all things rugby, for want of a better description, which includes playing, registration, fixtures, call values and playing standards, safeguarding and welfare, coaching, refereeing, first aid, grounds and equipment, schools development, rugby development, and probably one of the most important things at the moment is the budget for playing rugby. Um, so yeah, quite a quite a broad quite a broad role and and lots of different and lots of different hats you have to wear. Yeah, so all those roles that you just listed, uh, are they all people that are on that rugby committee? Yeah, yeah. So, so we have obviously on the rugby committee, we have representatives from um, we have the youth, uh, youth team chairman, minis chairman. We have um, safeguarding. We have um, we have fixtures, um, and then we have um, representatives from the Colts and the and the senior squad as well. So yeah, so yeah, you don't get me wrong. I'm not doing all of those jobs, but mm. ultimately, it's my responsibility to make sure that all gets pulled together. You know, and to be fair, it actually works really well. Um, I think. On one of the earlier podcasts, I think um, I think Chris McFerrin touched on it briefly. Where obviously the way that our club is set up in the in the in all of the subcommittees we have is probably slightly different to a lot of others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't just have a uh, we don't just have an exec sort of sitting in sitting in a corner deciding everything. Now we've actually devolved that down into into different committees and different subcommittees, which I actually think works really well. You know, so the exec now really are just sort of doing that. You know, a lot of the Clearly, a lot of the planning, a lot of the finance work, but but the idea, certainly on the rugby side, is I feed all of the rugby issues and problems into the into the exec if I need to, um, but hopefully the majority actually get resolved within the rugby committee. So um, it just yeah, it just it just devolves some of that responsibility, and you know, and dare I say, you know, the, the you know the exec is only made up of eight people and they can't do everything, and to get and to break that down into smaller groups seems to work really well. So um, it's actually quite a it was interesting. I think myself and Tracy went over to see the guys at Stortford a few years ago, and we kind of told them that the model we were working to, and they were they were actually quite funny. They said, "Oh yeah, actually that works really well. We actually might want, might want to adopt that ourselves." So, yeah, yeah. I know that there's a lot of sharing going on in the rugby community about how um, how things are run and how do you uh, sort of balance the work and, and not lean on or try not to lean on the few. Um, and to get everything done, uh, I know it's. I know <laughs> you mentioned thirty hours a week before. I know that there's, there's still um, uh, a lot to be done there, but um, uh, lots of clubs I know are after that kind of thing. Um, just to, just uh, with your involvement in the exec, and Tracy sent out an email on Friday, which at the time of recording was it's Tuesday now. It's Friday, uh, just uh, just before the weekend there. Um, that the club's going to open up on Friday the 31st of July for members and their households. I think she said, or support bubbles. Um, yeah. I think there's a few things that we need to be aware of about that, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's... Um... We all need to realise it's not, you know, we are opening on the 31st of July, obviously. You know, I think Chris and, and Alan in their earlier class, podcast kind of um, alluded to some of that and some of the planning that, that we've had to go through to get to the point we are. I won't, I won't bore you with all those details, but I think we have to be we have to be mindful that, that when people do come to the club on the 31st of, um, of July and after, it will be a slightly different drinking experience. I think we obviously are we are governed by what the what the government and what sort of um, public health England are telling us. Um, so just to just to kind of reiterate that, and I think Tracy did kind of um, explain it in the email, is within the club you're allowed to um, to sit and drink within your household. So you can turn up with your family and sit there and have a drink. 
Um, you can also sit in the club with a with another household if that's that's another household you've paired up with. Um, but there obviously is another a limit. Or there's going to be a limit on numbers there. Um, so really, it's just it's just indoor drinking um, for families and, and another household or their support pod. Um, whereas outside, the, the rules are slightly more relaxed, where you can actually meet outside with, obviously, within, within that same rules of households, but also outside, you can um, you can meet with five other people, which obviously is what you're allowed to do now. You can have, you can have a group of six, mm-hmm. but that group of six still have to be socially distanced. So you have, it's a bit odd. We kind of have to stand a metre apart and drink, which which is a bit strange, but. Um, so yeah, the, the experience for everybody is going to be is going to be completely different. I think you know, I think what's interesting we've done quite a lot of research on on what other what other clubs and bars and restaurants and everything else are doing. And you know, if they follow the guidelines, that's what they have to do. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we don't we don't break the rules. You know, the last thing that, that we want to do as a, as a club is is break the rules or bend the rules and end up losing their license because I think if we did that we'd all be shot, wouldn't we? Um, but yeah, I think it's just a it will just be a different experience. I think we'll get used to it. I think it was when we had a we did have a a a a COVID team meeting last last week at the club. We actually did have a socially distanced meeting and we all sat two meters apart on our own individual tables and we did have a beer each and it was quite it was quite funny um, Trying to hold a conversation with the person either side of you was fine, but when he wanted to to tread or reach the person that was furthest away, it was a bit, a bit of shouting going on. But yeah. I think we'll, we'll have to all get we'll have to all get used to it, won't we? <laughs> we will, we will, we will. And so that's probably what uh, uh, Tracy was referring to as mindful drinking, and sort of that we're yep. going to have that policy. You've just summed it up pretty much as what's going to be there there's not going to be any other surprises in that policy are there but it's pretty much what you just said isn't it no it's pretty no it's exactly that it is you know it's um it is quite it's called mindful drinking there's quite a few I've, I've noticed there's quite a few bars and restaurants are using that same terminology mm-hmm. um you know i just think we just we just gotta be you know we gotta be mindful that you know if we think we're all going to turn up and stand around the bar um you know clinking glasses we're not you know mm-hmm. and i think you know the the there will be an update coming out soon as to as to what you might expect when you turn up at the club. I think you know one of the things I think Tracy put in her email as well. There will be a there will be an app, so there will be an app where you order your drinks. It will be table service, and this is inside. Um, you will have to, as you come to the club, you will have to sign in, mm-hmm. um, so we know who's there. You know that's a, that's a government and public health England requirement. Um, we can't we can't get around that. Um, I think the rules outside are a little bit more relaxed. Where I think, whilst you still got a socially distance, and you and you can only be in these groups of six, um, I do believe that you can actually queue up to get a drink rather than the table service. But um, but Alan and Haley are working all of that, and, and they'll release all those details. Um, yeah, very very soon, hopefully. More to come on that. More to come. I mean, I, I have to ask. That, I mean, that's about the bar opening up and the clubhouse. Uh, what are the plans for reopening and returning to to rugby for training and playing? Yep. So, so the plan is that we will um, we will go back to to the club and we will start training again in August for everybody. So that will be the um, juniors or youth all the way through um, to the senior to the senior men and ladies, um, with the minis coming back in their normal uh, their normal slot of September. Um, what we can do during though, though the the early periods is is still slightly open for debate. Um, there is a 
um, for those in the rugby community, and they probably would have seen that we do have a um, published by the RFU a return to rugby roadmap mm -hmm. um, with um, I think there's six stages A B C D E and F, um, and currently we're at stage B, which basically means that you can't really do very much. You can train in, in groups of six people. That includes the includes the coach, and you have to be socially distanced. So so there's not there's not tons of activity that we can do, but but even if we're still at that stage in in August, we will be going back to the club. You know, we need to get back. You know, we're we're mindful that you know that people need to go out and, do, and do different things. You know, it's just the some of the logistics around that are quite are quite difficult, as you well know. You know, we have over I think across all of the sections about 400 players to cater, to cater for. Mm -hmm. So we're going to need need to be a little bit inventive about some training times and 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 break groups up and everything else, just to make sure that. Everybody has the has the space that, that they need to train. So, you know, um, there's lots of as I say there's lots of you know a bit like the club opening. There's lots of work going on in the background. There's a number of risk assessments that we're currently in the process of of completing, um, and there will be a pack for each coach um, when they do come back to the club as to what they should or shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, we're going to need to take registers. Um, we're going to need to get um, certainly with the minis and, and use some parent parental consents. Um, that they're at the club, and if they've got had any symptoms of COVID-19 and all those sorts of things, that they alert us to those facts. So, so yeah, quite a lot of sadly quite a lot of admin before we get back. But but we but we do want to get back. We will get back, and you know, mm -hmm. and hopefully you know things will calm down, and and some of those social distancing measures will get will get relieved, and as they do, we can start doing a little bit more. Well, that's good to know that we'll be, we'll be coming back in August and hopefully Boris won't put anything else in the way to, to stop that happening between now and then. And uh, we could all be fortunate we're not in Leicester at this point in time. So, um, yeah, so yeah. yeah, exactly. As long as, we, as long as we don't have a spike in Harlow yeah. and we get shut down on Leicester. Yeah. I, I still need to get my hair cut before all that happens. So. <laughs> I think there's going to be a long queue for that. It's going to be twice as long because everyone will be a metre apart. But uh, uh, so, I mean, you talked then about some support for coaches and, and management teams to say these are the things that, that need to be covered off for your sessions and, and that sort of thing. But I know more widely um, and, and in normal times there, there's support available for coaches and those that want to get involved in coaching at the club. Um, could you just tell us a little bit more about how the club does support some of the, the, the people who want to coach and take on that responsibility? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we we recently, you know, there obviously is a starting point. I think, you know, the majority of the coaches we have are generally our sort of parents of, of players. I think that's how, you know, um, the majority of people get involved, and, and obviously ex-players and some ex-players as well. I think we did um, we did release um, very recently a, a a new volunteers pack, um, and within that volunteers pack, that's got all of the of the details of what you need to do to become a volunteer, and and obviously get on, and if you want to be a coach, quite how you do that. So, you know, once again, there is, you know, like all these things, all these things, there is quite a lot of, of admin and process to go through before you can actually get out there. But once you are, once you are on the team and you've had your DBS check done and everything else and you're, you know, and you're, and you're out there coaching, then of course, you know, the club wants to, to support all of those coaches in, in, in every way they possibly can. And I think, you know, we do actively encourage all of the coaches to talk, sort of um, take ownership of their own development, if you like. That's the, that's kind of what the RFU are telling us we need to do now. Rather than spoon feeding people, it is it is largely up to the coaches to to manage their own their own path. And of course, what the club will do, they'll support that, you know, both physically and and also we'll we'll, we'll pay for the courses that, that, that the guys want to go on. So, um, 
so yeah, so the support is always there. You know, people just need to need to come and ask. I think we in in we've been a bit hit and miss, if I'm honest, about how we get that message out and and what's kind of what's expected of people. But um, but yeah, no, we do have a so we do have a a, a budget for coaching and um, yeah, and we're, we're more ha more than happy to take these guys on and and you know and, and hopefully they can achieve achieve whatever ever they want to really. Sure. No, no, I think. A lot of people will appreciate hearing that. It's good to know the clubs are very supportive there. Um, so, what would you see as your your biggest challenge at the moment? Um, oh blimey! Um, <laughs> I get. I guess. I guess it's changed a little bit. So, I think if if you'd asked me this question twelve months ago, you would have a completely different answer. But I think at the moment, literally all of the focus is taken up on returning to play, um, completing the risk assessments, and everything else. You know, as I said earlier, I think you know everybody's absolutely chomping at the bit to get back to the club, and as I say, we're going to do that in August. Um, but you know, we've got to manage, you know, as I said, 400 odd players, um, and we need to make sure that we do things safely. So I guess that's the that's the biggest challenge at the moment is just making sure that we do everything right and that, and that we do it in, in a safe a safe way. You know, we, we're conscious that you know parents of um, of certainly some of the the minis and, and and youth players are going to need a lot of reassurance and to bring their to bring their um, mm -hmm. their players back to the club. So, um, so yeah, I think that's the as I say, I think at the moment that is the biggest challenge. I think once we get over this hurdle, um, then yeah, we can start we can start looking forward again. But I think as a club, I would say we've had to take a, a little bit of a, a step backwards because I think we had lots of you know before we the season was really interrupted by COVID nineteen, we had lots of we had lots of momentum in the club, certainly with the first team and everything else, mm -hmm. and it, it's kind of that's kind of as I say, just kind of it ground to a halt. So we kind yeah. of, I think we've just, yeah, we've had to take a step backwards. We'll have to, we have to reinvigorate, I guess, and, and go again, uh, and and we will do that. So, so I guess that is the that is the challenge of making just sure we we get everybody coming along with us. So, I mean, clearly this is this is taking up a lot of time. If you had an extra pair of hands, um, sort of, what would what would you want? that extra pair of hands to do that could help you out? I think for me, I think, you know, rather, rather I actually quite enjoy pretty much all of the bits I do. I think it's the admin is, is painful for me. So if I could have a, if I could have a magic fairy or a PA to do all my, um, all my notes and everything else for me, that would be brilliant. So yeah, if I, if I had an extra pair of hands, it would be, it would be something as simple as having a secretary or a PA to be honest. Yeah. A magic fairy. Or a magic fairy, we'll, yeah. we'll put, we'll put that job out. Let's have a, a magic fairy. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just going to sort of reflect on uh, sort of last year's uh, AGM, and there was uh, an action there to look at lighting for footpaths, for the scrummage areas, and additional pitches. And, and with what we're seeing with COVID now, uh, and the, the distancing we're going to have to put in place, we're kind of in need of a bit more space. And it's, it seems odd to be saying that when we're at Latin Park and, and how little space we had at Ram Gorse. But what's the latest on that? How's that progressing? So, if I'm honest, that's that's kind of that's that's not. It's it's kind of other priorities are taken over again. I think you know we are, you know, whilst we were good at, you know, as you well know, it, it, it was something that needed funding. We would may potentially have to get some council permission to put extra floodlights up, etc. As well, so it's kind of work in progress, but as I say, kind of stalled a little bit. Um, one of the one of the positives and one of the things that we have done during lockdown is. Um, we posted a few um, vacant volunteers roles, and, and Ken Potter kindly um, stepped forward to to um, to become a grants manager. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the one of the things that I was involved in, and I know Westy got involved in a number of other people trying to trying to apply for grants in the past. And it is quite a it's quite a specific job, 
um, and you do have to you do have to be good at writing a, writing an application. So so Ken doesn't know it yet, but one of his first challenges will be to um, to try and get a grant to play for the um, for, to pay for the lighting that we need. You know, we're aware that we yeah. need it um, up the footpath, we need it in the car park, and ideally we will need it on the um, you know on the second on the second team or the second pitch as well. I think yeah. you know when. You know the fact that there probably won't be any rugby played for a for a little while yet, or any any competitive rugby. We obviously do have pitch one. We will have to utilise that for training. Um, you know, it's not so bad for the maybe August and September, but as soon as we get into October and those, and those winter months, then obviously you're you're absolutely right. We need some extra space, yeah. and I think we will have no choice other than you. We'll have to use pitch one, mm-hmm. particularly if, if if there's social distancing still in place, because otherwise we're just not going to have enough room for everybody. So I'll get Ken on, tell him we need some funding and permissions pretty damn quick. Yeah. And there we go. Yeah. Uh, and you touched on it then, sort of, the, what are we hearing from the Essex RFU and the RFU overall about when we might play games? Okay, we're coming back to, to training and stuff from, from August, but when do you think we might actually be playing some uh, some games against some real opposition? So there was a, um, there was a release from the RFU um, back end of last week where they they kind of they announce what the what the um, senior league structures might look like. And I think um, best case scenario is that for our senior men they will start in November. So rather than the season for them starting in September, it, it's it's as as a best case scenario is November. Um, but that will also be with a shortened league program. So for next season, I think we're in a we're in a twelve league team. Or, sorry, a twelve team league. Yep. Um, and the way that it works is that we get split into groups, um, so um, distance and distance of travel is cut down. So it means that there'll be two groups of six. So you get ten games in the first trance, and then I think a further six home or away games after that. So basically, in a in a twelve team league, you will get a total of sixteen games. But you know, the hope is that, or the plan is that, it could potentially start in November. Um, but of course, that's all completely dependent upon social distancing. Mm-hmm. And if on the rugby roadmap we get to point F, where it's basically return to match play. So, so yeah, there's still a long way to go, and I think still a lot of you know still a lot of imponderables and a lot of unanswered questions there. I think in terms of the the minis and youth, I really don't know. I think you know we need to you know it's a, it's a bit of a shame because. We, we had a really good head start this season where all, literally all of the minis and youth fixtures are in place. Mm-hmm. So, so Chloe Fletcher and, and Des Keane have done an absolutely brilliant job in getting all those fixtures in the diary. And they were all due to start in August. But, of course, we don't know if we can play any of those early season games. So um, so we're actually ahead of the curve there a little bit. But but we just don't know when we're going to start. So um, what, we need, what we need to be, as, you know, as, as we've touched on before, we need to be a bit, little bit inventive about what we're going to have to do. You know, the yep. plan will be to certainly for the well for all of for all of the club. You know, if we can't play competitive rugby, then we're going to try and make allowance for everybody to have a, an extra training day. So rather than the the youth would normally have a <laughs> one training day and one um, and one match day, we'll try and turn that into two training days. But mm-hmm. um, we're, work, we're working through that at the moment just to see you know how we can fit everybody onto onto the pitches over over the week. So. Once again, we just need to think outside the box a little bit and be and be somewhat inventive. So yeah, I guess we're talking here about sort of how we're going to fit everybody in, but also sort of strategically more longer term and going back to what we were thinking about before this all hit. Um, what what sort of steps are we taking to build that playing 
uh, base uh, over this next year across the minis, the juniors, the ladies, and the men. Um, what, what, what do you think is going to what, what we what, sorry what are we doing to to continue to recruit uh, and maintain that playing base? Yes, yeah, so I think you know brilliant. So I think yeah, I think on that point, I think you know it's it's interesting. I think I think we've. What we tend to do as a club, we tend to we tend to forget we tend to focus on the things that we haven't done as opposed to the things that we have done really well. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the stuff that we've done really well, certainly over the last couple of seasons, is you know we've got girls playing out of the club for the first time, which is that which is absolutely brilliant. You know we've probably got one of the best schools program in the whole of in the whole of Essex, if not if not sort of Hertfordshire and the surrounding areas. You know you know Michael Weston's done an absolutely brilliant job um, sort of getting into schools and everything else, and that has clearly helped. Our, our, um, our player base in the youth section. We, you know, we had we had quite a lot of kids join just simply because of that. It's also, you know, we've also done incredibly well with the girls. I won't spoil Michael Thunder because I think he'll probably talk a little bit about, more about that when you when you um, when you speak to him. I think on Friday. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's been incredibly incredibly positive. I think you know we've we've hosted all of the schools' festivals. Um, we've tried to get some sort of college rugby sessions in there. We've hosted. A number of um, sort of Essex games, so so we're, we're certainly on the map as the as the place to to go to play rugby. I think on the the senior side is is quite interesting. I think that's that's you know we've 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 made big strides certainly in the senior setup. I think you know if you go back uh, if you go back just before we um, we we moved to to Latin Park at the, at the latter end of um, when we finished the Ram Gulls, you know whilst we got promoted, what we did have. Is when we moved to Latin Park, we had a we had a um, some people are going to hate me for saying this, but a bit of an aging team, mm-hmm. um, and they probably they probably all aged and got injured together. So we did have a we did have a number of players sort of as soon, pretty much as soon as we moved to to, to Latin Park dropped out. Um, so we did struggle a little bit, you know. There's no there's no doubt about that. We did, um, you know, we managed to. We managed to stay in the in the league for, for one year, and then sadly got and then sadly got and sadly got relegated this, this even after. But, but I think we've we've turned the corner on that now. You know that we've managed to introduce I don't know about you know eight eight or so as as I mentioned earlier the Colts into senior rugby. We had a really good recruitment drive last season. Um, you know we picked up a number of dare I say better players, which kind of lifts lifts the whole group. Um, and that gives, you know, and that's so that was, you know, that was incredibly, incredibly positive. Um, so yeah, so we will obviously we do need to. I think you should you should always have a recruitment um, plan in place. You know, things are things are always moving, aren't they? And players do move. So so I think we did incredibly well with that last year. Um, you know, and I, and I think on the other side, I think also with the with the minis and the youth, we are better at. Integrating and and talking to each other than we that we had been than we had done previously, you know, and obviously with the with the recently set up um, um, coaches chats at your host, and I think that's just a great forum for people to share ideas, and I think that the, the more we can get um, coaches and managers and everybody and everybody talking, then it then it just lifts it lifts everybody's spirits and it lifts everybody's abilities, doesn't it? Because yeah. everybody can learn off each other. So so there's lots of so I know that's the, there's some soft things around there, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, you know it's. Um, you know, I think we we are definitely heading in the right direction. I actually think we're in, a, in an incredibly good place. Um, you know, but but there is still there is still work to be done. You know, we of do course. aspire we do aspire to be playing certainly a couple of levels higher in in um, in the senior side in, in in the not too distant future. You know, that's got to be a that's got to be a, a wish of everybody. Um, so yeah, um, 
you know, and, and I'm hoping that you know, as as a as our minis and, and youth thrive, and we don't have any gaps in age groups now, then then we will get a regular a regular amount of these of these players into into senior rugby, which which can only be good. Yeah, no, because I can see where the, the the things that are happening feed each other and uh, and help each other thrive. So uh, no, it's good to hear. Um, so come to some of the, the the final questions. I mean, you've talked about a number of things there, but if money was no object, uh, where do you think we should be investing now? You actually you actually asked me that you actually asked me that offline. So I've actually got a shopping list. <laughs> <laughs> You had a shopping list already. I'm sure you did. I can't, I can't have had a shopping list already. It, it, it's yeah. quite, it's quite interesting. And to be fair, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is money. Money's no object. But I think some of these things are achievable as well. So I, you know, I know. Obviously, we invested or um, with um, with Body Fresh Fitness to to obviously build the build the gym extension, which has been a huge success. You know, there is. I don't. I see no reason why we can't actually mirror that same setup on the other side of the um, on the other side of the terrace under the balcony. And just make that a, a bigger area. Um, you know, one of the things that interestingly that, that was spoken about before the club actually moved to to Latin Park was an indoor, um, a multi-purpose indoor training centre. I think that that's something that, that Alan Brooking touched on as well. But you know, wouldn't that be amazing if we could have an indoor facility somewhere? You know, we have that we have that spare or that overflow car park down um, the end beyond pitch four. So you know, what a, what a great asset that would be. Um, and it doesn't necessarily just need to be rugby. You know, we can, um, you know, why can't we have an indoor hole where we can host, you know, um, Tracy's going to love this. Why don't we host netball or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, in an ideal world, maybe a spectator stand. You know, why not? You know, I guess they might need planning permission, but that would be a, that would be a nice to have. Um, floodlights on pitch two, which I think we've already spoken yeah. about in, in the Midis area. So... Um, but obviously, that's something that that, that is, is potentially achievable anyway. And I think for me, I think, um, as you probably know, I do tend to, one of my side jobs on a Saturday is to film the, the first team play, um, which I kind of quite like because it gets me away from um, from all those people in my ear in the bar. So I can go, <laughs> I can go and stand on my own in a corner somewhere and film the game. Um, so it'd be quite nice to maybe have a, have a camera gantry and a remote camera. Um so yeah, so those are maybe a few of the things on the wish list. Alan Webb was keen on one of those years ago and used the uh, container, but he he, uh, he managed to slip off it, I think, and uh, hurt himself quite badly. So you want something a bit more permanent than that than just standing on top of uh, a container to do that. So, we do. I think when we yeah. hosted the uh, we hosted the England um, the England um, Wales um, death game, they actually had a they they put a gantry up a scaffolding gantry with um, with a few planks. And I think it was actually it was still in still in situ for the following um, Saturday, but I did actually I was a bit too scared to get out of there because it didn't look too safe if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So what what makes you proud about our club? Um, I think I, to be honest, I'm, I'm I'm proud of mostly everything we do. I think you know I think what we do, what we're good at, we lead, we self start, and we just get on with stuff. You know, you know, I, I know. There's lots of people that, you know, there's lots of clubs just, you know, asking for help all the time. We don't do that. We kind of, you know, we do lead the way. I know we're certainly in the in the um, in the good books of the of Essex and the RFU for that because, you know, they they come to us. You know, they approached us about schools rugby. They they approached us about some of the other projects they're going because they know we can actually deliver this stuff. So so I think that's what you know. That's one of the proudest things. I think we have a good base. You know, I think that as I said earlier, the committee structure actually seems to work really well. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I just you know I just think we're progressing um, 
incredibly well since we since we moved from from round goals. Um, you know, I guess that there was a difficult transition from from round goals to to, to Latin Park. I think we're over that. Um, you know, so it's like all these things, Paul, isn't it? I think you know, change is always going to be difficult. Um, but as I said, you know, we've rebooted. We aren't reliant on any private investors. Um, so I think we actually have a, like a really good rugby model that I think everybody should be proud of. Mm-hmm. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. And then I guess lastly, then, what are you looking forward to? Um, Christ, what am I looking forward to? Um, I guess I guess a bit of a cliche, but returning to rugby. I guess that's what we're all looking forward to that. Um, standing in that bar... Actually, standing in that bar having a having a pint that would be that would be quite nice as opposed to having a socially distanced one because I'm not quite sure what that means. And I think you know just sort of not wanting to focus on it too much, but maybe um, writing some of the wrongs of um, of where our first team ended up last season. I think everybody's aware that we that we missed promotion by the skin of our teeth. It was actually by 0.16 of a point. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think was the smallest margin in any of the leagues when they when they decided to to end the season and 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 do the player base. I think you know it was harsh. Wasn't wasn't it? It? it was harsh. It 14, was harsh. Fourteen games unbeaten, and then yeah, there we go. Yeah, and I think you know that's right. You know, it's fourteen games unbeaten. We had a game in hand. You know, and I'm pretty convinced, as, as probably all the players are, that you know that if the season had ended in a normal way, we we, we would have been promoted. Um, so I actually felt for the players as much as anything else. So you know, so I think it's. Um, you know, they've got some unfinished business and hopefully when we do get to play rugby next season they, they will hit the ground running and um yeah and we'll we'll be getting five points every game that's the challenge yeah oh good stuff well tux thank you very much for your time today that's that's been very informative and uh, uh, i appreciate you taking the time to to sort of think about what you were going to say before coming into the conversation today as well it's uh, i think we've got some good information there and i, I hope the, the listeners uh, really uh, uh, understand what goes into it all and uh, and appreciate everything that's going on thank you very much for what you're doing for the club as well um, so um, yeah on that note um, I think we'll close it for today and uh, thank you very much thanks Paul bye now thank you for listening to the House of Rams podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting we'd love to hear your feedback so please get in touch through Facebook or email me direct with your thoughts if you'd like to appear on one of our podcasts or showcase what you're doing at the club, please email me on paulowenynan at gmail.com or contact me through Facebook. Watch out for our next release and thanks for listening.